Hello everyone, I am Olivia. My pronouns are they, them. Technically, she is also correct and not wrong. I just prefer going by they, them. Um, I live in Denver, Colorado, which is a great time. Um, I live out here with my girlfriend. We live in the city um, and I've got two very cute dogs that we live with um, in like an old Denver historical building. I currently work in social work as a case manager for juveniles, um, which is a also a fun time. My background is in psychology. I'm hoping to go pretty far with that. I'm 26 years old. I have been married and divorced to a man. Um, and now I'm just out here not knowing at all what I'm doing, which is a lot of fun. So, uh, My name is Becca. I am 28 years old. I live in um, Danvers, Massachusetts, which is a suburb of Boston with my husband and my dog. Um, we are currently entrepreneurs. So my husband owns a coffee vending business. I help him with that. And then we also own a restaurant. And other than that, my vibe is just kind of doing freelance things and finding things to fill my time with that I enjoy and that can maybe make me money sometimes, um, which is a very different place than I thought I was going to be. I got a degree in music education. I was a music teacher for four years and I left um, at the end of the 2020 school year, which I found was very good timing. My pronouns are she, her. Um, and yeah. That's all I could think to say about myself. I'm going to edit right, that so great. much of first this episode, out. everyone. <laughs> oh the, my first, the first few are probably, yeah, going to be a lot of editing. Although, I don't know. Sometimes it's fun when it's just like two people being yeah. absolutely ridiculous. Listen, we're doing. both awkward and weird and strange. Yes. And so if you're listening, if you're one of the two people probably listening to our first episode, <laughs> um, please bear with us. We're really trying so hard. <laughs> I literally hope nobody ever hears this. Nobody ever listened to this ever. <sighs> okay. All right. Um, shoot. Okay. We should talk about how we met. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to tell my side of the story because I think it starts much sooner than yours. So Liv and I met through, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> through a mutual friend named Abby, who is really delightful, who we love a whole lot. and Lovely human. Oh, my gosh. I think it was like maybe 2021 I don't know Liv it was like when you were in the midst of your post-divorce transformation year like becoming a bad bitch and Ugh. Abby just mentioned me to you I don't remember why but she was like oh my gosh I really think you would like my friend Liv and she showed me your, your Instagram and I started following you on Instagram and just like would see you occasionally and I was like oh yeah she's really cool and um <laughs> and then I started deconstructing and I I just kind of like paid more attention to Liv's <laughs> social page and realized that she was going through some similar things. And then I realized, um, Liv, that you were my bi awakening, which I don't know if I've told you this yet, but as I watched what? you, I was like, oh, she's really hot. Why do I think she's hot? Oh, I think a lot of women are hot. Oh my God, what's going on? Um, so I'm still figuring this that piece out. This is the best out. news. Did you not know that? Did I never tell you that? I, mm-mm. No, that makes me so happy. So, thank you for that. I still don't really know what to do with it, but here we are. Well. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I was secretly um, Instagram stalking you for like a year and a half before we met just like three months ago. 
you did say that when we first met. You were like, yeah, I've been following you on Instagram forever. And I was like, oh, no, I don't have that many followers. Like, I don't even allow that many people to follow me. And so I was like, oh, shoot, like, I feel bad. Maybe I should have been following you, too. (laughs) That's crazy. I also did not know that you deconstructed after you started following me. That's crazy. I think I was in, like, the very beginning stages of the process, maybe when I started following you. But it was like, I would never have called it deconstruction. Okay, because I was, and I, it's been this way for a while, where I am just really intense on my social media pages, and that's why I started, like, a whole new Instagram for it, because I was like, (laughs) I'm pretty sure my friends are tired of this, Uh, but that's, that's wild. Yeah, and we met, I, Abby was like, you have to meet my friend Becca, and I was like, oh yeah, sure, whatever, like, not (laughs) even really thinking it was that that deep and we met and I feel like I was like yes I like this person's energy um because we just met what November yeah like like two two months months ago ago. yeah best friends now (laughs) uh yeah it was like an instant kind of like oh I like this person's energy a lot um I feel like especially now in my life I'm a lot better at recognizing immediately if I'm going to vibe with somebody or not um just being able to know myself a little bit better now that I am deconstructed and kind of owning my own personality um and so yeah that was we started walking and talking and then you started telling me like that you were deconstructed and all of that and I was like oh yeah we need to we need to chat nobody else exists my partner (laughs) no Abby no it's just you and me bitch I know we need to talk those poor girls they were just (laughs) Abby eventually moved from her seat and just went around to talk to your girlfriend she did yeah she was like I guess it's just us now well they were very patient with us I think they liked it and I think Abby has this thing where she really likes putting people together she's a very good friend matchmaker I I am actually good I'm good friends with one other person that I met through Abby as well who is also gay and non-binary and lives with their partner in New York. I have never laid eyes on this person in person, but we chat all the time. It's like we've been friends for like years and I forget that I haven't actually seen them in person. So Abby's just out here. All of her friends are gay, poor thing. And uh, she's just out here making making friend matches. She's like, uh-huh, not me though, y'all be safe. She's like, She's like what I want all Christians to be, you know? Yes, very affirming. And lovely. And, and very kind. much just. Yes. She's going to listen to this. If she ever listens to this, she's going to love it. Her little Enneagram 4 heart is going to be like, oh my God, you guys think I'm special? Because we do. We do. You're very unique and you're the only one. <laughs> um, should we talk about our Enneagrams? Just in case any people listening are into that. Yes. Well, we are the same Enneagram. We are both Enneagram 8, Wing 9, which is so yeah. much fun. So we have that fun little balance of wanting to control everything and also being afraid that everyone hates us. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's a good time. Uh, Wouldn't choose anything different. (laughs) I just love the war that goes on in my brain constantly. A lot of anxiety just keeps me going. (laughs) I don't need coffee. I have anxiety. (laughs) Except you do need coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm drinking it right now. What are you talking about? Okay, should we go into uh, just the brief overview of the things that we used to believe about ourselves and 
our lives and the world and then kind of the things that we've deconstructed like it can just maybe be just like a list yeah we can talk about them okay why don't you start with your list and i'll see how many crossovers we have oh i like it do we want to go back and forth like i'll do one you can do one perfect love it okay so the first one i brain dumped this list and for whatever reason the first one that i came up with was that i and everyone around me are inherently bad and sinful that was my first one too i used to believe (gasps) you're kidding (laughs) no that's wild that's something tell me about it that's something that means something okay um yeah maybe that's the most important thing to me right now but uh i used to really walk around and actually believe that like I was part of the scum of the earth and I could not do anything good and nothing good could come for me. And I needed God every second and, you know, every breath I breathed um, needed to be like full of the spirit. And now living, walking around, being a person, I uh, don't have that sort of weight on my shoulders. And I think when I think about my deconstruction, I overview of like, okay, how do I feel now versus how I felt when I was in it, when I was a Christian, um, the main thing that comes to mind is I don't feel weighted down by my own self-hatred and fear of going to hell, um, just because I'm bad. That's what it is for me. Yeah. I think that was something that I only, like, recently fully deconstructed. On the one hand, I have a belief that we are created perfect and we're perfect as we are but on the other hand I believe that we each have capacity to grow and that as humans our goal should be growth that we shouldn't just be like complacent in where we are um and I think complacency is different than like a need for rest like if I have gone through something really stressful and I need to just pause in my life and like not focus on self-development. I don't see that as complacency. I see that as like just caring for myself. Anyway, yeah. so I think for me, like that idea of brokenness, like fully taking that apart, lifted a lot of anxiety off of me. Um, because anytime when I was a Christian that I would do something wrong, I would be so anxious. And my two responses were either to like completely deny any culpability and try to absolve myself Um, or I would just totally wallow and I would be unable to move on and there have been several situations in the last few months where I've done something that wasn't great generally like said something that was unkind to someone that I loved or just like made an honest mistake in business or something like that and my response has been Like, I kind of go to one of those responses first, and then I realize, like, oh, no, I just did something wrong, and I can make adjustments, and I can make amends for it, and also I'm not a shitty human being for having made this mistake. Um, And I think that freedom has been what's been the most powerful powerful for me, and I, I think I now don't understand how people still hold on to that belief that they're broken. I understand how it happens. I guess it just, because it doesn't make sense to me anymore, it does frustrate me that people continue to hold on to that belief about themselves. And I wish I could make that go away. Hmm. That's a lot. It's really the shame 
yeah. aspect of things, which I'm I'm sure there's a reason we went to that first, is a lot of deconstruction is uh, trying to pull yourself away from a life of constantly living in shame. Yeah. That is what you cling to because it's what you know, because that's what's safe, even if it's like bad for you. I agree that I wish that I could just give everyone a little smack in the face and say, you're not broken. You're not bad. You're allowed to love yourself. But I remember clinging to the idea that I was broken and preaching it. And it was in like every Christianese conversation I would have with like my peers and be like, ah, oh, you know, just really just so broken, like my brokenness and God is healing my, like, no, um, where you're actually not broken. But if you can hold on to the idea that you are broken and you can live your life like that, then you are safe in your belief in God. It's the one thing that the church, I really think, just pounds into our brains. You're broken. You're sinful inherently. You can't do anything good. You need God. And by extension, you need the church. Um, And so if you can believe that in yourself, then you're justified in your belief. And so I think the biggest thing for me, at least with deconstructing was finally letting that go. And that was really hard because that was my safety. My shame was my safety. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, a, it's way better when it's, when it's not. And your actual self-love and um, understanding that like, just because you make a mistake or you say something wrong, doesn't mean that you're bad. Uh, it's, it's way better to live out of it. Yeah. It just, it keeps us so reliant on the church and church leaders. By the way, I started reading Jesus and John Wayne, and I am like Did you really? half a chapter in, and it's just, I mean, I think I kind of knew already, like, the modern evangelical church has been designed for control and power, but it's just opening my eyes to, like, all the ways that that has happened, and so then I look at doctrine like inherent brokenness, and I'm like, oh, of course the church is teaching us that we're inherently broken because it's a system that's been built to control people. I don't know that the church has always been like that. Hmm. I would argue it probably has not. Yeah. Especially with the Jesus and John Wayne book. And listener, if you have not read this book, I highly recommend. Mm-hmm. I buy this book and send it to people just <laughs> unasked for. I'm like, hey, you should read this book. You don't even really know me, but read it. Um, and it does kind of speak to, especially in the mid-1900s, um, where there was just this crazy grab for, for power and money um, and a perpetuation of the patriarchy. Anyway, we could probably go into... We should do an episode going in-depth um, with that because there's a lot to say. I'm also reading this book called Heretic right now, mm-hmm. uh, which is a biograph- an autobiography. A biography? What's the one where you write it yourself? When you write it about yourself? I think that's an autobiography. Yes. I think that's when you're, like, old, though. I think a memoir <laughs> is just kind of, like, talking about... Oh, okay. <laughs> I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but I, it is a memoir of... Uh, gosh, I don't even know the author, but she talks about that, too, where she's, like... She goes in-depth into, hey, yeah, the 1900s. Like, there's a reason the church is the way that it is now and why people are realizing that that's not okay and, like, leaving in droves. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to definitely do a whole episode on uh, Jesus and John Wayne, for sure, and that whole idea of just how the church has been built and designed. Um, it's going to be a three-hour episode. I have a lot of <laughs> it's going to be so long. <laughs> Strap in. Yeah. Um, 
All right. Can I go to the next one on my list? Yes. So this one has been like such a mind fuck for me, especially over the last like six months, because it's something that my husband still believes and he believes like so firmly. And I, it, it bothers, it doesn't bother me. I don't think he's like a bad person for believing it. Okay. What it is, is Christianity and specifically the theology that I was taught, which I was raised in a um, conservative Presbyterian household, so like very much Calvinist and like Lutheran theology, kind of a combo of the two. Um, th- that theology and the Bible is the only objective truth and also is infallible. And mm. I just, I, I remember that was actually one of the first things that started to get my mind going, other than like the tragic event that kind of triggered my deconstruction. One of the first things I was hearing was like, you literally cannot prove that everything in the Bible is true. You cannot prove that Christian theology is accurate. There's no empirical evidence for it. You can certainly believe it and there's nothing wrong with believing it. And I've had this conversation a lot of times with with my husband and I remember feeling the way he feels. He says, no, I just know. I know that it's true. Um, But I think when you're in it, you're not able to distinguish the difference between belief and knowledge because when you're in it, the belief is knowledge. And making that distinction for me has been really hard because now I'm like, well, how am I supposed to know what's true? Because truth is so highly regarded within evangelical Christianity. Wow, cannot distinguish between belief and knowledge. That's real. Um, and you kind of you kind of can't. Like if you're in that, you have to kind of think that belief and knowledge are the same thing. Because yeah. if you don't either the um oh my god, what's it called? I use this word constantly and I can't Oh cognitive bring dissonance it out of my brain right now. Thank you. It's gotcha. the cognitive dissonance that starts creeping in. Hmm. Um that was the fourth one on my list. You said something about um, Bible being infallible. Mm. As someone who went to a, I went to Colorado Christian University, and I'm going to name drop so many times because I've got a lot of feelings. <laughs> um, I went there. Uh, if you do not know, uh, Colorado Christian University is in Lakewood, Colorado, and if you graduate from CCU with your undergrad, you have an automatic emphasis in biblical studies. Um, So that means I had to uh, attend a lot of Bible classes. And not only that, I also had to attend a lot of like sessions outside of class, like on like a Friday night, I'd be going to the session where they're talking about how you can prove that the Bible is true. So I had to sit through, I remember not understanding a word of it, um, but sitting there I pull up all of these documents and all of these like, uh, like all of his references and all of these like historical quote facts um and all of these like i don't know i think he referenced the dead sea scrolls at mm. some point of and, course um have you ever heard there was yes of course of course <laughs> uh the q like the it's like the anonymous resource that the gospels got their information from like matthew mark luke and john um it's like it's q i don't know i should go and look it up um, i've never heard of that So they actually use a lot of these things to be like, no, no, you can prove that this is true. What raises a red flag for me 
is that I sat in like a two-hour class where they were just doing verbal gymnastics around, no, no, you can prove that it's true, and here's how. And I'm like, you lost me. You really did. Um, And if you really have to go to that much effort to prove that this is true, then is it? Can you say that the the Bible is infallible? And there's even that argument between infallibility and inerrancy, which we should not go into now. But (laughs) it's like, okay, well, that's another thing. Are we all really just saying, no, but I know, and here's how I know, without actually having any proof? I mean, we are, though. Like, that's... When I was in high school, there was a couple at my church that led a an apologetics course, and it was literally weeks of them bringing in all, all of that, you know, the data. I specifically remember one class where he talked about the birth of Jesus and, like, the alignment of the stars and how everything that's written in the prophecies about the birth of Jesus and in the accounts of the birth of Jesus uh, is can can be um, corroborated with, like, the position of the stars. Oh, my God. And at the time, I thought that was so compelling. And now I just think it's so funny because he used astrology to prove Christianity, which is like super heretical. (laughs) (laughs) That really is. You're like, okay, wait. So we can use astrology for Uh this, but not for that. Exactly. You're saying that you can map the exact position of the stars when Jesus was born, but I'm not a Scorpio. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Come on, Bruce. Uh, Get it. (laughs) Get with it, man. That's crazy. Well, they really do. And they're... It's it's so funny because, yes, when you're in it, you're like, yes, this is it. Mm-hmm. This is so compelling. This is proof right here. And it's really just to confirm the things that you're already hanging on to. Confirmation bias. But then now being out of it, I'm like, holy shit, would I have believed that bullcrap? Uh, and it just seems stupid to me now. And I understand why when I was a Christian and, and the non-Christians around me would look at me and be like, are you fucking serious right now? They'd be like, are you kidding? Uh, You are absolutely delusional. And I'd be like, you're the one that's delusional. Mm -hmm. No, I was delusional. I fully was. Yeah. Yeah, I would go to high school. And I mean, I remember I had a couple of friends who were so nice to me, like unreasonably nice to me. And they weren't Christians. (laughs) And I would just, I would fucking preach at them. And we would have, like, mm-hmm. lunchroom debates. And I remember in my mind, I was like, it is my job to prove them wrong yeah. and to convert them. Yep. And I didn't think at all about, okay, well, am I being kind to them? Am I being loving to them? Am I being a good friend? And they were so nice to me. And I was a bitch. Oh, my gosh. Because <laughs> because I thought I was doing the right thing, right? Like, I, I was yeah. taught and told, like you need to bring this message to everyone else in the world because everyone else is lost. And I think I was the one who was lost. Mm. That's That brings me to, I guess, another point on our list where I deconstructed what it means to love other people. Hmm. And now I feel like I actually know how to love other people and I can actually receive love from anyone who truly loves me. My best friend in high school was super gay. I should have known. The signs are all there. Uh, But my best friend in high school was super gay. I should have known I was gay too, but no. And I really (laughs) saw them and tried. I was like, this is my, this is my project person, you know? And I would pray for them every single night. They used to go by he, him, they go by they, them now. Um, And I would pray for them every single night because I was so worried that this person that I truly, really liked 
and loved in the way that I thought that I could, uh, or thought that I knew how, uh, I would be so worried that they were going to hell. And so mm. I'd pray and I'd pray and I'd pray, but I was never actually a good friend to them. Yeah. I just saw them as a goal because I loved God more, you know, and that was more important to me. And it, it really wasn't loving. Cause I did say some, some shit to them too. Like I was the Christian that was like, yeah, you know, like I think gay people are fine, but I just don't think they should get married. Yeah. Um, you know, things like that that were very hurtful. And I've had to apologize to those people, um, now, um, but it, it's definitely one of those things where now I know actually how to love people in a normal human way. And it's really sad that I didn't do that growing up. I saw people as more of a a goal and a, a number and a checkbox rather than who they actually were. And I think I probably missed out on a lot of really good friendships. Yeah. I feel like we're discovering like new podcast topics as we're talking today. Like we could take each one of these things that we've deconstructed about ourselves and talk about them for like an hour and find books about them and Mm -hmm. which is exciting. We could do this forever for the rest of our lives. Literally forever. You and me. I'm only planning on living like 10 more years so that's not like a very long time. I don't know. I'm just like kind of over it. (laughs) (laughs) Not like in like a... Not in like a, well, I mean, not sometimes like a, in a depressed way, but like generally not in a depressed way. Just yeah. like, ugh, I don't know. It's so much work. Kind of like I'm, I'm bored. Yeah. <laughs> Joints start hurting a little bit more. It's kind of like not worth it. Yeah. Also, I've done like so much emotional growth over the last year. I'm like, ugh, okay, like, can I just stop here and then not have to do any more of this work? You know? Yes. You actually can. <laughs> It does get exhausting. I do kind of start to wonder, like, when will it end? Yeah. Apparently, my frontal lobe just solidified, like, recently. Oh, yes. That's true. Mm -hmm. Isn't that fun? Okay. I recently learned... Sorry. Have you heard of Saturn Returns? Yes. Okay. That happens when you're, like, 27, right-ish? I thought I was 29. Okay. Hold on, I'm trying to figure out if my current state of existential crisis is Saturn returns. Mm, Maybe. It says every 29 and a half years. Oh, okay. So maybe not. The duration of Saturn's orbit around the sun. You could be getting there. (sighs) Yeah, I feel like... like, ahead of the curve, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I'm a Leo, so I, like, have to do everything better than everyone. That's true. (laughs) And you do. Flawlessly. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, I mean... Wait, so if you're going through this much growth now, imagine if you don't stop and you get to 29 and a half. Oh, I know. That's what I'm saying. It's like, so exhausting. You. Yeah. Especially when you're, it's like, especially when you're deconstructing and you're kind of in the throes of it. Cause you're kind of in the throes of it right now, right? Like yeah. you're in the juicy, <laughs> I hate that word, but you're in the juicy spot. <laughs> it's such a gross There's word. There's a lot of thoughts. It's gross. A <laughs> lot of, um, a lot of thoughts going on in your brain, like all the time. And a lot of things coming up all the time where you're like, oh, I haven't thought about that. Oh, I haven't thought about that. Oh, I need yeah. to think about that. Yeah. It's a lot. Also, were you... <laughs> Of, I mean, you're only a couple years younger than me, but were you of the generation where every single girl pretended to hate the word moist? Yes. <laughs> I don't think it's a... Pre- I, I don't like that word. 
I don't hate it. There's other words I hate more. I just, but when you said juicy, I, I was like, real. oh yeah, that is. Like, if it's in reference to, like, a lemon, great, that's fine. But if it's in reference to, like... <laughs> no, it's not! <laughs> <laughs> I think there are people listening to this right now who are like, we have to turn this off. I we know, can't. they can't All these it. words. But I do remember, oh, like, the word that's moist. Okay. One day I woke up and I was like, wait, why <gasps> does everyone hate... Should I keep saying it? Would that really delight you? I'll, I won't say it anymore. <laughs> But I did, I deconstructed that word for me. I realized that I didn't hate it as much as I was conditioned to. It was just a trend in the church. Yeah. Was it? it well, you know how the church goes through, they go through little things like that, but it's, they're way more like innocent than the, than the trends that the rest of the world is going through. It's like, we are, yeah. we're going through hating the word. I can't even say Don't it. say it. It's okay m word um and and other people are going through like i don't know hating a racist celebrity and we're like oh i just can't stand that the word in life yeah wait you we said don't it. actually deal I'm with really proud of you real things i did I, a little thank you anyway <laughs> all right what's next on your list <laughs> okay the next thing on my list we're gonna get through this um oh uh a big one actually the second one that i wrote down almost as big as the first one was that i couldn't trust myself yes like I couldn't be my own authority and uh I, I could not you know the heart is deceitful above all things you know flesh versus oh god I hate that word too what's going on <laughs> uh versus you know whatever else what what is the opposite of the flesh because there's a flesh and then there's your heart the spirit your brain question mark the spirit thank you oh I've been out of it for a little too long I would have known the, the answer to that question. Did you ever sing the song? Um, I think it was called "Light the Fire," and one of the lines goes, "The spirit yeah, right now on the is willing, but the flesh is so weak." So light the fire. And it was also one of those songs where, like, the men and the women would echo. It was like, "Light the fire, light the fire, oh. in my in my weary." So, you know, oh. it was. Um, it's, it's- I'll stop now, but it was... Please don't. It just <laughs> sounded really good. Uh, no, I don't know that song, and now I'm, I'm going to look it up. Yeah, it was like a really big deal in my youth group when I was in 10th grade. They really liked the ones where you did the, the female and then the male. Oh, yeah. I just mean... to really solidify that binary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> You're so I get right. so angry. I get... <laughs> I get so unnecessarily <laughs> mad when it's like male versus female. <laughs> but the rest of us. I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah, where would you fit in? You would have to make up your the, uh, a third part for the the, the theys and the I, thems. Honestly, I was an alto, and I feel like those are the non-binary people. Like, if you are an alto mm. in your church choir, you are now non-binary. I don't make the rules. I love that. I'm a mezzo-soprano. That's why I'm bi. <laughs> are we about to classify? All right. Lesbians. What are the lesbians? Oh, All right. The gay men. Who are they? The gay men are the tenors. Probably not. Yeah. Probably. No. Actually, no. You know what? The gay men are the baritones. And all the kids who the we ch- thought we were gay but actually weren't gay are the tenors. Like the okay. metrosexuals. Oh. I don't. 
I don't think we can say that word anymore. Oh, we can't? <laughs> oh, okay. I'll edit that out. Hold on. No, I don't think you should because, <laughs> listen, I think that is so funny because I used to use that word and I actually really like that word. Because is it offensive? It's, it's one of those things that they... No, it's not. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I, maybe it is. It was one of the words that they would use kind of back in the early 2000s to be offensive. Like, it is offensive oh. when you... Like, okay, the show Castle. Yeah. I don't know if you watch that show. Abby watches that show. The main character made fun of another main character. She made fun of him by being like, you're so metrosexual. And he was wearing, like, a scarf. And she was huh. like, you're so metrosexual. And I was sitting there watching this for, like, the first time in years, being destructed and gay. And I was like, uh, I feel like that's not, uh, it's not okay. I feel like that's offensive. But there are, so, like, people yeah, who so I, I would describe as metrosexual because of their style only. And it wouldn't, I wouldn't mean it in a derogatory way, but perhaps because it has a history of being used. This is really interesting. Are you Googling, Googling is metrosexual offensive? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah, should... it is. Okay, great. <laughs> it is offensive. It started off as a derogatory term for straight men who were really gay. Oh. Sorry. Straight men who are really gay. I don't understand that Wait, sentence. Wait, straight so. men who are really they, gay? They were just gay. They straight men a, who appear Google to be is gay? misleading me. No, they say straight men who were really gay. Wait, what? It's like straight... I. This... What? This Google, like, answer is derogatory. <laughs> I think, in my view, and this is the last thing I'm going to say about it, because we're doing, we're going way too far into this, my view is that the word metrosexual is is a derogatory term for either straight men, who are just more feminine, which mm-hmm. is totally fine, who cares, or um, gay men who maybe, like, are out of the closet. All right. Um, well, you know what? Yeah, anyway. I learned something today, and I will no longer use that term. I was going to say casually, but at all. I just will refrain from it. Sort of like the term moist. <sighs> Fuck you, Velka. Fuck you. Okay. Um, all right. I think I'm going to have to pray about whether or not I'm going to edit that section out. <laughs> You're going to have to pray about it? Yeah, for sure. God's going to be like, leave it in, leave it in. Actually, mm. she is going to be like, leave it in. It's like hilarious. Um, okay. <laughs> What's next on your list? Let's move on. All right, let's see. Actually, I had next on my list that evangelizing to people is more important and sometimes different than loving people, which we kind of already talked about. Um, A big one is that people who have walked away from the faith are lost. And this was like Mm -hmm. a big thing for me when I was first deconstructing because I would have conversations with a few trusted Christians in my life where... I would like describe what I was going through and like the doubts that I was having. And I would say things like, you know, I don't think I'm letting go of the faith, but if I am lost, then scripture tells us that Jesus goes after his lost sheep. And so if I am lost and if I am part of the fold, then he will come and find me. And I just spent a lot of time in that space of being like, okay, well, I'm lost. So like, God, come find me. Jesus, come find me. And I was Mm -hmm. asking for that for a long time. And uh, I mean, my experience is my experience. I don't feel like whoever God is did come find me. 
And so there was there was a season where I was just really angry and I was like, okay, well then I'm just going to reject everything to do with God and Christianity. And because this is someone who I've asked for help and who has told me that I can trust him and I've been, um, what was the word that I would use? Oh, abandoned. Like I, I believed that God had abandoned me. And now I still kind of feel like that sometimes, but I've deconstructed the belief that people who don't believe in God or believe in the brand of Christianity that I was given are lost. Um, in fact, I feel more, I feel like I've found myself so much more in the last year than I ever did in 27 years of being a Christian. Um, so that's been an interesting one to kind of like toy with in my brain. I like that one. I have not thought about that. Um, it is interesting that you sat in the space of, well, if God, you know, actually cares and is actually going to come after that lost sheep, then here I am. Mm-hmm. Come find me. And I think a lot of Christians just, I, I have this little voice in my head that's still like a Christian kind of asshole um, and is <laughs> is arguing like, oh, well, that's you testing God. Yep. And if you're going to test God, he's not going to, he's not going to take the test. You know, he'll, he'll leave you out there. I'm like, okay, well, good for him. Uh, probably good that I left him. Right. <laughs> um, but you did, you sat there and you were actually open to it. And I think a lot of people just jump into anger, um, and denial and go the opposite direction without actually sitting in the possibility of something different the possibility that God does exist, um, but you just need something different from them, or, you know, I don't know. Um, Yeah, I think I did feel a lot of that, like, anger and frustration and confusion. I've felt that the whole time, but at least in the first, like, three to six months of deconstructing, I was really afraid to lose my faith and I was also afraid to lose my community. So I still had that attitude of like, I don't want to let this go. Like, I don't want to leave. I just can't stay with it as it is right now. And so God helped. Essentially, a lot of my prayers, like screaming into the void prayers at 11 o'clock at night, were like, do something essentially like say something do something show me something change something I need something to to help me stay and there wasn't anything um I think a lot of people probably are resonating with that I did that too like on my knees in the shower like asking why God had left me like screaming at him like why did you why did you allow the tragic event that occurred um, that caused my deconstruction. Like, why did you let this happen? Why have you abandoned me? I'm like, Jesus on the cross. Yeah. Um, and there is that kind of, it's kind of like leaving a, a toxic relationship, like trying to get out of it and being like, okay, like, I want this to continue. I love you. Um, I don't want to let go of, of this, this safety and this thing that I have known my entire life. But I can't keep going as it is now because I will not make it. So something needs to change. And if that means that I walk away from this, if you do not show up and I have to walk away, then so be it. Because at right. some point in your deconstruction, you do have to choose yourself over 
over everything that you've known. Right. Yeah. I, within the first few months of starting to deconstruct was like, circumstantially was a really difficult time in my life. Um, but what am I trying to say? Oh, well, I, I think combined with deconstruction was like where I w- was at my lowest mentally. And I've always had like light bouts of depression and I've always been pretty anxious, but like in general, relative to like other people's experiences, I've always been pretty mentally healthy. Um, but I do remember that period of asking and kind of begging, like, you're right. It's like begging your toxic boyfriend to keep you after he's left you. I was the most depressed I've ever been in my life. I was constantly thinking about ending my life because exactly what you said, like I couldn't go on. I couldn't go on as it was. Um, and, and fortunately it never got to the point where I actually like had the intention to act on any of my thoughts, but which I know so many people have gone through and I honestly can't, I can't even imagine what that's like. That's so painful. And, um, but yeah, I mean, obviously I got a medication and that helped, but also once I chose myself, a lot of those feelings and ideas like really started to alleviate and it was a really big difference pretty immediately. Um, which I I don't know how common that is, but Anyway, yeah, that's that season is just like super painful, especially when you're not receiving any feedback or answers that you're asking for. It's so frustrating. And it does, especially if you have abandonment wounds, which I think many of us do. It really triggers that. Yeah. Um, and you kind of have to act. You're like, OK, well, i got to do something here. I also went through a cute little period of. <laughs> It's just like self-checkout, you know? Yeah. Like, just go. Uh, that was before my deconstruction, and it was one of the things that triggered hmm. that. I was in a bad marriage three years into it. I uh, was using all the, the self-harm behaviors and the bad coping mechanisms and um, just kind of wasn't interested in, like, life it was. I was like, this, is, this can't be it. Uh, and God is not helping. Um, and then one thing led to another, divorce was messy, a lot of bad things happened, and I was like, okay, in order to come out of the, I want to unalive myself, I will be deconstructing. And yeah. so it was the thing that kind of helped me get out of that, and it was the facilitation of that, um, which was great. <sighs> and a lot of work. But when you say that you are, you know, you went through that frustration, that anger, I still go through it, and it's yeah. been three years since I started deconstructing. I still, sometimes I'm looking around, and I'm like, fuck you, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, God, I'm so frustrated still that I don't know if you exist, and uh, there's still that abandonment fear, and there's still that kind of like, well, do you? Well, don't you? I don't know. If you don't, that's scary. Mm-hmm. And so it does trigger that over and over again, and it's just, when people say deconstruction is a lifelong thing, I think it probably will be. Yeah, Absolutely. Oh, man. All right. We're back on. Um, Okay. That was the end of my list. I just kind of had, like, four big things, but we can dive more into 
some of the things that you had. Let's see. Oh, uh, the concept of sin. Oh, yeah. Which kind of goes along with the concept of being inherently bad and sinful, but the actual concept of sin itself, which I hate the word. Mm. Not a fan. But if we have to use the word, then uh, I think I sent this to you um, a few weeks ago where someone said this, but uh, sin being not something bad that you do that affects your worth as a human, but rather something that does not align with your specific truth. Uh, love it. Yeah. Love that uh, definition. I don't use the word sin just because it is very Christianese and very triggering. And I don't think normal people, like outside of religion, use the word sin. I have not encountered anybody. No, I think other than like joking, like, oh, I'm such a sinner. I'm going to have a piece of chocolate cake, yeah. which can we just for a second talk about Jeez. how people talk about food as having value as good or bad? Because fuck that. Yes. Fuck that shit. Coming yeah. out of the holidays, I'm like, oh, mm. eat, eat, drink and be merry, baby. Mm-hmm. I mean, in fairness, I am yeah, eating that. much better now because I ate like shit during the holidays because my body felt like shit. But it's not like a worth thing, which is nice. That is nice. We mm. should probably go into like almond moms. Have you heard of that term? My mom is an almond mom. Yeah. Yeah. My mom, I was going to say she was, but she still is. We yeah. were an ingredient household. I ate chocolate chips in the middle of the night <laughs> just to feel something. I'm <laughs> mm-hmm. just imagining little like eight year old live behind the couch like yum 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 yum. I was a little chocolate chip gremlin. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Uh, led to the eating disorder. Ooh, super spicy. <laughs> oh, yeah, we got it all. You need you need to talk about sin? You want to talk about sexuality? You want to talk about eating disorders? We've got it all. Oh, yeah. One-stop shop for all the things. Oh, my gosh. Um, but, yeah, sin being something that is... Because my mom... And this is also a story for another day. But my mom and I had a good little conversation before the holidays about how I am sinning by being gay. Mm. I came out to them earlier this year um, after I started dating my girlfriend. And they were. my mom was really quiet about it for a while. And then we had a conversation and she was like, you need to repent. You know, you need to run back to God, which is also fun, funny enough what they told me when I was divorcing my husband as well. Um, Love that for you. Did not run back to God then. <laughs> not running back to God now. So uh, I don't even know which way to run at this point. <laughs> right. Um, just going to run towards myself. Yeah. Found God. It's me. Anyway, no, <laughs> not that. Um, but, um, you know, she was, she was like, oh, yeah, you're sinning and you... your life is going to be so much better when you are in alignment with what God wants for you. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, lady, you are crazy. You are actually crazy. If you had told me this, you know, two years ago when I was in the midst of my deconstruction and trying to figure out, oh, am I, am I bisexual? Like, am I into girls? Uh, spoiler alert. I was very gay. (laughs) Um, if she had told me that then I would have been like, maybe she's right. I don't know. I would have second guessed myself because again, we are not our own authority. Yeah. God is, and and the authority figures above us also are our parents, our pastors, people older than us. But I was sitting there and I was like, no, if I reject myself, that is sinful. And I will not be doing that. And it gave me so much security in being able to sit there 
and not even be a, really, of course I was affected, but not swayed by these things that she was saying that would have swayed me a couple of years ago. Yeah. So I think that's another thing about deconstructing is that, um, other people's opinions of you and what you're doing in your life no longer hold nearly as much weight as they used to. Even in just like non-Christian settings, I found through deconstructing that I, not that I care less, because I still care a lot about what people think about me, but I just allow other people's input and opinion to impact me less. Same here. My yeah. partner is she's turning 30 um this month and so is a little she's a little older than me so she has a little bit I see her as someone who has a little bit more of a handle on who she is Mm. uh and her personality but she's also someone who's just so she's like nope I know what it is I know who I am and I am chasing that till the end and she always has been um since she was a kid apparently and she was allowed to be gay since she was a kid her mom always fought for her to be able to be herself and so she my partner's name is Ashton Ashton has always been somebody who is just very firm but on both feet and I am not that hmm. at all um, and I feel part of the reason is because of, of Christianity and because I was just always gaslit into you don't know who you are and you can't possibly yeah. Um, but yeah being deconstructed this is the first time in my life at 26 years old where I'm like hmm Maybe I know things about myself. Maybe I can actually stand here and not have to completely absorb the words that other people are speaking on to me. Uh, maybe I get to decide. Uh, maybe I am my own authority. And it gives you a lot of confidence that you just don't have as someone who's really into evangelicalism. Yeah. I also think we're taught growing up in evangelicalism that the other side of deconstruction or leaving the church is um, just complete depravity and just running rampant in sin and hurting people and doing all these terrible things because people leave God because they just want an excuse to do whatever they want to do. And I have found in myself and in most other people who I've encountered who have deconstructed that it's the opposite, that they're more mindful about their impact on other people. And although they maybe don't allow like people and doctrine to tell them how to be they um when they do decide to allow something to impact them or have an effect on them they do something about it and they make it meaningful and they change and they grow like it's just so wild to me (laughs) i know that there are people who I haven't told that I'm deconstructing who if I told them immediately their opinion of me would be well she's a sinner she just wants an excuse to sin she just doesn't want to be a good person and that's that and they would kind of wash their hands of me um which is fine I mean I I don't want to be in relationship with those people um I but it's so the opposite Yes, 100%. I I thought that as well, where it's like, okay, well, if you don't have God, you know, if you don't have the Bible, if you don't have this moral uh, code, and you don't have a real relationship with Jesus, then how can you be a good person? Uh, turns out, you can be a way better person without Jesus, because yes. when it comes to you 
doing something because somebody told you to do it or are you doing something because you genuinely want to put good things out into the the universe and affect people in a positive way not because god says that you have to but because you actually genuinely want to uh there's there's an impact that's felt by that there's a reason that people are like ah no type of hate like christian love Mm -hmm. there's a reason it's because it's not real love and and yes i would say that there are probably plenty of people out there who if they knew that you were deconstructing would absolutely wash their hands of you which is very sad um and we could probably have a whole episode about the friends and the people that just mass exodus of my life um over and over and over like i hit different levels of okay well you know now i'm divorced people left well now i'm deconstructing people left well now i don't believe in god people left well now i'm gay people definitely left Mm -hmm. um and it's they there's a fear there where i think they're not doing it maliciously they're not out here actually you know believing believing maybe they do that the world outside of evangelicalism and people who who don't love god are are truly bad and truly just feral um but they have to believe that because if they don't then everything else comes crashing down you have to believe when you're in the church that that is the only way because you know what it's not a very fun way in my opinion for me in my life it's not a very fun way for me to have lived uh so i had to believe that everything outside of the confines of the church was bad but you get out here and you're kind of looking around and you're like oh this place actually slaps right (laughs) i love it and it's not because i want to sin um, it's actually because if we're going by the definition that we talked about, I want to sin less. Yes. And I want to be more aligned with my truth and my happiness. And when I tell you, I have never known happiness like this and true alignment with myself, the way that I'm living. It's every year I get a little bit more, I get closer and closer to really how, who I am and who I want to grow into and there is a feeling that I get personally when I am settling into those things that I never had when I was a Christian, but that they told me that I should have. It's mm-hmm. this, like, joy that they talk about, I guess, which I don't really even know if that's the real thing. Because, you know, there's something different between, like, joy and happiness. I don't know. What I do know is that if that is a thing, I have it now, but I did not have it then. That's so beautiful. I just, being deconstructed, it's so delightful for me to hear someone else say that and not feel sad for them, but to feel so happy and excited for them. You know what I mean? Like, if I were a Christian right now still and I heard you say those things, my inner thoughts would be, how sad for her? Like, I'm sorry, I'm using the wrong pronouns. How sad for them? They are experiencing something that's not true and that is fake and that is false and they're duping themselves into believing that they're experiencing joy and peace when you can't experience that outside of Christianity. And how how sinister is that? Like, it's not intentionally sinister, right? But like, oh, that gives me chills just imagining myself thinking that about you. I definitely was one of those people who would have thought that 
um, about you if you were saying that. Right. Um, it's so sad, and I only understand now, on the other side of it, how people actually saw me and viewed me when we would say those things. Like, oh, you can't, you know, experience peace outside of Jesus. Yeah, I can. I'm doing it right now, yeah. um, and it's great. And I experience peace. And like, I was a anxious wreck as a Christian. Not that I'm not one now, but you know, less. <laughs> uh, but I do. I sometimes I question myself because I'm like, okay, if Christians believe that I am the one who's experiencing something fake, and I believe that they're the one who's experiencing something fake, how can we know? And the difference is, I have experienced both. They have not. Yes. And I always try to remember that. Helps ground me. Yeah. And also, I've been thinking this a lot lately, if what I'm experiencing is fake, and what I was experiencing before was real... I don't want the thing that's real. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I, maybe this is like really immature to say. I honestly don't know, but I would rather live in ignorance and feel as though I am authentic and loving to other people and truly feel that peace and joy within myself than live a true experience, an objectively true experience that's shameful and painful and confusing and abusive. But Becca, what about the afterlife? Oh my gosh. I've been thinking about that so much lately. (laughs) Oh no. I, I'm a little bit scared to die now. I used to not be scared to die and now I'm a little scared to die. I don't, I don't know what, Mm -hmm is meeting me on the other side. Yeah. Yep. But you know what? I don't want to be a Christian just because I'm scared to go to hell. Yes, exactly. Not doing that. But yes, I am also terrified to die. I do think... The existential... Go ahead. Sorry. ...issues that I have had. No, I was just going to say the... Once I kind of got through, like, the basic topics of deconstruction, like purity culture and sin, and, you know, you start getting real deep, you do. Um, It doesn't end. You just go farther down the rabbit hole, and then all of a sudden, you're awake at two in the morning, terrified to die, and wondering, what on earth? And I really thought, like, okay, well, lots of, no, there's less peace. When it comes to the existential stuff, at least for a while, I, I think that's what I'm going through right now. Um, didn't think I was going to get here. Like, I thought at some point, okay, I'm good. I de-. No, I did not deconstruct all of the things. <laughs> you just start getting more vague and more, like, uh, abstract. Uh, but I truly am going through, like, an existential crisis. Uh, I would That's how I would define it. Like, I didn't understand that term until now. Yeah. Being like, huh, what if hell is real? What if hell is actually... Okay, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Uh, an episode on that but yeah I've been consuming a lot of content about the idea of hell from a bunch of like deconstruction ex-evangelical or still Christian liberal Christian um what's the word liberation theology blah 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 I've been uh, consuming a lot of content from those kinds of creators and I think that I've deconstructed and rejected the idea of eternal conscious torment I think Hmm. at least at the point where I'm like, if eternal conscious torment is the reality, that's not a god that I'm willing to worship anyway. So, like, fine, that's mm-hmm. my fate. But. Yeah, that's, that's I, as far as I've gotten to. Yeah. 
But I think if there is a deity who is benevolent and all-powerful and loves their children, I don't think that eternal conscious torment is an option. So, like, worst case scenario, I'm kind of imagining either nothingness or, like, being a blob of gray. Hmm. Blob of gray doesn't sound too bad. It's not that bad. It just sounds kind of nice. I'm going to be very vibrant here, so I'm okay with being gray in the afterlife. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, being a blob, I'm like, damn, I finally get to rest. Okay. Mm. Sometimes I really do wish... Just take a just be a blob of gray for a second. As long as there are chocolate chips. Yeah. Oh. Mhm. <laughs> mhm. Yeah. No, we're not going to be an almond household in the afterlife. <laughs> we're going to be an, agree- an ingredient household. Yeah. I have good stuff. Uh, yeah, I really just kind of view hell right now as just kind of a empty. You're away from God, which I'm fine with. Actually, sometimes I wonder if it's not like, oh, and what if you spend the afterlife without God? Yeah, what if? That's kind of the point. I'd like to spend now and the afterlife without that guy. He doesn't sound... Sorry, there's like a bunch Hello? of going on outside my apartment. I love living in Denver. Did you hear that? That was very loud. That was like a semi-truck. Yeah, I, uh... When I say I live in the city, like, we're there. <laughs> yeah. We, uh... There's, yeah... It's it's constant noise. I didn't like, do we live in New York City? No. But, uh, anyway. So, Becca, speaking of where we are in our deconstruction journey, what is the main topic that your brain is chewing on right now in terms of your deconstruction? I think right now, because this is one of the main topics of conversation with my husband, who is still a Christian, um is the concept of absolute truth and first of all whether absolute truth exists and second of all if it does how to determine what is absolutely true also (laughs) this is like from my apologetics class days and this is something that my dad really latched on to um we i remember during this class, we would have one or two sessions where we would talk about going to college and going out into the world and how do we respond to people who have like relatively sound arguments against Christianity. And one of the topics was absolute truth. And this this tells you how simple Christian logic is sometimes. The scenario is someone says to you, there is no such thing as absolute truth. And your response is, well, is that absolutely true? And you've got him. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. And Boom. That uh, used to they be like, are now saved. <laughs> that used to be like, oh, yeah. That's like, no, that's like super sound logic. <laughs> um, no, that's like really good, bro. You like got me. Like, that's like so profound. Wow. No, like, like, I wouldn't have even. I didn't so even right think of that, bro. Can you pass me that blunt? <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, so... Yeah, Christians think they are actually doing something with that, huh? Yeah! I really used to think I was doing something with that one. Um, We all did. Yeah, but anyway, so yeah, I'm thinking a lot about truth and the idea of, like, individual truth, which evangelical Christianity, like, totally scoffs at. Um, The idea that, like, everyone's truth is different. People are like... (laughs) 
That's so stupid. That's so like, I don't know. I hate the, the Christian attitude towards it. But yeah, that's the big thing for me. Big T truth versus little T truth. Yeah. How but about for you? Those are categories. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Um, currently, I am in a place where I'm gearing up to revisit a lot of things that I have mostly deconstructed. Being three years removed from the beginning of it, um, which of course I'm still in the throes of it because it's going to take a while. I, uh, I really am someone who kind of processes things most of the way. And then I kind of leave the hard part until, uh, later I'm realizing. So I'll get the fun way through a topic like purity culture or whatever. And I'll be like, yeah, this is wrong. Like this is that and this and that. And I get to the place where I'm like, okay, yeah, I deconstructed, but I really haven't wrapped it up as a topic and haven't gone through the really hard, like grieving of the fact that I'm losing something, um, or having to deal with, you know, still internalized shame or, you know, misogyny or homophobia or whatever. So currently I am revisiting a lot of, um, topics. I am reading Heretic right now, which I said, cannot remember what the author is. I can go find it. Maybe we'll put it in our show notes, a thing, Mm -hmm. put it in the show notes. Let's do it. Um, and the author talks about how she, you know, divorced and came out as gay and all this. And I'm reading through this and I'm like, wow, I haven't thought about this in a while about how my divorce went and how messy it was. Um, and how I'm realizing that a lot of the things that she's saying in the book, I thought I had processed and and I was okay with, but they're very triggering. And so when I'm when I feel triggered, it points to, hey, you have not fully processed this yet, which is fine. Actually, there is no time limit on processing things. Right. Um, technically, I don't have to ever process these things if I don't want to. So I am collecting some things that I am still triggered by and slowly when it feels safe working through them um and this is actually part of that Hmm. so this is really good that's daunting (laughs) it really is it's tough work new year new me baby i love it (laughs) it uh what's something that you're enjoying with life right now just giving you pure (sighs) unadulterated joy i'm trying to think of like there are a few different nothing absolutely nothing i hate my life okay this is maybe gonna be a little bit gross not too gross so i'm ready (laughs) a couple of months ago we got i swear to god if you say moist again no (laughs) (laughs) no but i am going to talk about bodily fluids like very briefly okay um i'm looking forward to it a couple of months ago we got a juicer for free from a friend of ours. We have like a giveaway page actually through our church. So church really is still serving me. Um, we got <laughs> the juicers. Yes. <laughs> the household appliances. Exactly. Um, we got a juicer and I like cleaned it and then I kind of put it away. We don't have like a lot of counter space, so we don't really keep things on the counters. We forgot about it. And then I logged on to Facebook on New Year's Eve this year and like three people posted about their juicers because you get juicers, um, for the new year so that you can be skinny because thinness defines your hmm. um, worthiness, by the way, in case you didn't know that. Just mm-hmm. going to reinforce now that. Now I know. For you. Thank yeah, you. Perfect. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, I had like forgotten about it and I was like, oh, I actually really 
like I really enjoy juices in the the summer between my senior year of college and when I started teaching I worked at this like teeny tiny little restaurant that did sandwiches and fresh juices and stuff and so I really enjoyed that and I'll get juices every once in a while so uh we took it out and I got very overzealous at the grocery store and bought just so many fruits and vegetables Um, I specifically really like beet juice because I enjoy Mm. beets in general. They have a lot of antioxidants, and I really like the color. I really like drinking red juice um, because it makes me feel like I'm drinking the blood of my enemies. So (laughs) we're learning so much about you right now. We have been making (laughs) beet juices lately with like a bunch of other stuff like pears and apples and lemons and ginger and just kale, all kinds of delightful things. And we had one yesterday and live for the last 24 hours all of my um every no. time i go to the bathroom it's red okay it's happening. <laughs> oh and i well. thought i was dying for a little bit and then my husband reminded oh, no. me that we drank two beats yeah you've literally been drinking <laughs> red juice what did you expect um oh, it's the blood of your enemies coming out of your body after yeah. being processed so anyway uh that is the weird and kind of gross thing that i'm really enjoying is drinking beet juice and thinking that i'm gonna die when i go to the bathroom i think it's really funny i <laughs> asked about the thing that's bringing you the most joy and you told me and i i love it i love it <laughs> You're very healthy now, though. I I am. I I think. I Although think I need to juices is a healthy thing. Yeah, I need to stop fooling myself into thinking that it's enough for a full meal because I drink a juice at it lunch. It's not a meal. And then I am ravenous. And then I yeah, eat dinner at three o'clock. Because it's not chewing food. Mm, yeah. Mm. So, juices. I juices. Um, do you, uh, there is a TikTok creator that I follow that will uh review the diets of celebrities and will talk about how they only drink their food Mm. in a lot of especially breakfast and the creator is like sorry but if it's not chewing food it is not a meal and i think about that all the time because i am absolutely someone who will drink a protein shake and be like oh lunch and then i have to remind myself my poor little early 2000s scarred eating disorder uh, skinny culture Pinterest board fitspo yeah. bitch out here uh, that that is not a meal <laughs> that is just an extra little treat that you get to drink beet juice treat for you sounds terrible to yes me, it has been delightful what is bringing you the greatest amount of joy and hopefully it's not as weird or gross as mine I got a job at a coffee shop part time on the weekends that is not what's bringing me joy. What's bringing me joy is that um, I now... The coffee shop is a 300-foot uh, uh, walk from my house, which is lovely. I got the job specifically because, A, living in the city is very expensive, specifically this city. Second of all, I was spending too much money at the coffee shop. So I said, you know what? I'm going to cheat the system, and now I will just be spending time at the coffee shop, and now I get free coffee. So I just walk up and my coworkers see me and I'm like, hey, can I just make two drinks that would usually be like $10 each, not even kidding, and just take them home. And so now I get free espresso every morning 
uh, which is lovely. That's truly, amazing. For someone like me, you know? There's a lot of people out there who are probably, like, detoxing on caffeine from, um, for, like, the beginning of the year that are, like, F you, Olivia. I, my New Year's resolution is actually to drink more caffeine, just to I see. That. Just to see what happens. Wait, so even when you're not working, you get free coffee? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to. I hope my boss never listens to this, but, yeah. We all... We're all, like, queer and under-caffeinated, so mm. we look out for each other. Also, like, so, yeah. if that's really Drinking something that your boss is going to get mad about, they can calm down. They, he does need to calm down. Mm. Let's really hope <laughs> oh, okay. that he doesn't it's listen to this. Yeah, the, he's uh, Brock, um, my, my, my coffee shop boss. If you were listening to this very underground new deconstruction podcast, uh, everything I've said is a joke. It's just a lie for legal reasons. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Well, um, I think I want to go out with just a prayer. Um, so if you would just bow your heads. I'm kidding. I was about to go into a full on like, Lord Jesus, God and God, would you just Lord, baby, sweet baby, Jesus, God, Lord, <laughs> sweet baby, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, As of right now, our podcast is only available on podcast platforms. Um, However, as we continue to grow and develop, we will um, probably be active on social media as well. We'll let you know if we have a website up um, because we would really like to be able to just grow our community, invite more people in um, to share about what it is like to deconstruct in 2023. Um, Next week, we are going to be back with an episode on purity culture and sexuality, which is just obviously a super light topic. Um, But we're both really excited to talk about it because we were both super affected by purity culture and have gone through the process of um, figuring out our sexuality. So we will uh, be back next month. Did I say next week? I meant next month if I said next week. We'll be back next month with another episode, and we thank you so much for listening.